So, Father, we turn to your word now because it's about you and we want to hear you speak. We know we need your guidance in our lives. We need your wisdom. We need your strength. And so we come to your word each week because we want to hear you speak to us. And so we ask, Lord, that you speak clearly and powerfully to each one of us, that any anything that would hinder us from hearing what you have to say would be removed from us, whether it's fear or to-do lists or anxiety or frustration or whatever may hinder us from hearing you. Remove it, Lord, so that you could speak directly to us. Father, we ask that you would open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, and our hearts to receive what you have to say to us this morning. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, we're still working our way through Ecclesiastes. And so if you open your Bibles up to Ecclesiastes chapter 6, verse 10, and it's a little longer passage again, we're going to be going through verse 14 in chapter 7. But it's all one unit, and so we want to look at it all together. So Ecclesiastes, chapter 6, verse 10 through 7, 14. Whatever exists has already been named, and what humanity is has been known. No one can contend with someone who is stronger. The more the words, the less the meaning. And how does that profit anyone? For who knows what is good for a person in life? During the few and meaningless days, they pass through like a shadow. Who can tell them what will happen under the sun after they are gone? A good name is better than fine perfume, and the day of death better than the day of birth. It's better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. For death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. Frustration is better than laughter, because a sad face is good for the heart. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. It's better to heed the rebuke of a wise person than to listen to the song of fools. Like the crackling of thorns under the pot, so is the laughter of fools. This too is meaningless. Extortion turns a wise person into a fool, and a bribe corrupts the heart. The end of a matter is better than its beginning, and patience is better than pride. Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. Do not say, why were the old days better than these? For it is not wise to ask such questions. Wisdom, like an inheritance, is a good thing and benefits those who see the sun. Wisdom is a shelter, as money is a shelter, but the advantage of knowledge is this. Wisdom preserves those who have it. Consider what God has done. Who can straighten what he has made crooked? When times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, no one can discover anything about their future. This is the word of the Lord. So the author of Ecclesiastes brings up a 
fairly thought-provoking question. He says, who really knows what's good for a person in this life? And you might think, well, it's not that hard of a question. God knows. (laughs) But remember what the author of Ecclesiastes is doing. He's speaking to people who have rejected God. They've, what they've tried to do is remove God from the picture and tried to live their life that way. And so what he's really doing is he's saying, okay, if you remove God from the picture, if, if there is no God, then tell me who knows what is good. And it, it goes even deeper. The, the question really becomes, if there is no God... Can anything be good? Can you even use the words good or evil if there's no God? And the answer is you can't because you, you don't, you need someone to draw the line between good and evil. And if there's no one to draw the line between good and evil, there is no line and then there is no good or evil. And so he's pointing that out and yet we know that, I mean, that's where our culture's at. As they've rejected God, we have a hard time saying this is good, this is evil. It's, it gets all fuzzy in the middle. And yet, they still want to call something evil, because deep down inside they know some things are wrong. And so if you kind of push someone on it and you say, well, if there is no God, how do you know that that's good or that's evil? And I've had a lot of those conversations over the years with people who've rejected God. And and as you kind of push them on it, they'll say, well, what's good is just what's best for the most people. And you say, how do you know what's best? Well, and, and you kind of keep pushing it down. They all end up landing in the same spot most of the time that good and evil end up being decided by a majority vote. If most people think that this is good, then it's, then it's good. Or, or the highest authority in the land. If the highest authority in the land says this is good, then we say that, that must be good. And yet as I talk to people about that, I can tell when they give me that answer, it doesn't satisfy their soul. <laughs> they, they know, they know that there's something deeper than that, that we don't just get to decide it. I mean, people know that just because the majority vote in Germany a hundred years ago was to kill all the Jews, that was evil and wicked. Even though the majority said it was okay. Even though the highest authority in the land said it was okay, it was evil and wicked. People know that today, even though the majority of people or the highest authorities may say it's okay for us to murder babies in the womb, it's evil and wicked. You know that. It's It's there. And so it has nothing to do with the highest authority in the land. It has nothing to do with with majority of approval. God is the one who draws the line. And if you try to remove God from that, you lose the line. You can't say good or evil or anything. And he says, then who really knows what's good or evil? And yet there's more to what he's asking in in the question because he's writing to other people as well who haven't rejected God. 
And, and especially the passage we're going through today, he's writing to people who are going through adversity. He, it, he uses the word adversity. So it's a tough time. Things aren't going smoothly. And he says, who knows what's good? Who knows what is good for a person in this life? And I hope as we even ask ourselves that question as believers, as people who trust in God and know that God has drawn a hard line between good and evil, that when we get into a difficult time, we get into adversity and struggle, it's a lot harder to answer that question than we like. Things get fuzzy sometimes. And, and he says in, in verse 11, he says, the more words, the less meaning. And how does that profit anyone? And if just think about that and think about social media. The more words, the less meaning. And really, what does that profit anyone? And we know that. The, the, the more we talk about things, sometimes the foggier things actually get. And right now, and I, like I said, I hope we can be really honest. Right now, in all of the turmoil and the divisiveness in our country, you can get on social media and you can find data and opinions that back your own no matter what side you believe on. You can. Everybody can say, well, I've got this study and I've got this study and I have this. We can do that all day long. And the author of Ecclesiastes says, yeah, the more words, the less meaning. The foggier things get. And in the midst of that, it's that he asks us the question, can any one of us right now in our current situation with humility and honesty say, I know exactly what is best for us right now? I think we are forced to be humble and say, I don't know. I've got guesses. I think this might be best for us. I think this might be good for us, but I don't really know. And yet we want certainty because we hate that. If I know one thing about human nature is we hate hanging in uncertainty. We hate just kind of hanging in the balance. And, uh, and now we've got all this information around us. We're all hanging in uncertainty. We have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow or the week, a week from now or a month from now. Now it's all uncertain. There's information pointing all over the place. And so we just decide we're going to be certain about something. And we just pick a side. I'm going to believe this. And I'm going to grab hold of all the information that I want that's going to tell me that I'm right and you're wrong. And I'm going to hold on to it because I don't want to hang in the balance. Because we don't want to be uncertain. We don't want to just kind of hang there for a little bit. It's really why our country is so divided. And, and I want us to be, I want it to even drive a little bit further home because we should all be honest with ourselves. It's not just a problem out there. It's happening right in our own heart. That in our heart, we don't like uncertainty. And so we grab hold of something. And sometimes it's the wrong thing. And so he forces us. Do you really know what is best for all of us right now? And then he drives the question home a little bit further and he says, who can tell them what will happen under the sun after they're gone? Or to reword it, who knows what the future holds? I mean, for those who don't believe in God, he said, 
If you have removed the idea of an all-knowing God, nobody knows what the future holds. It's all random atoms just crushing into each other, random chaos, and you're just caught up in the midst of it. Um, you have no idea. But even us who believe in God, we know that God's in control. We know that he's writing the story, but we don't know what the future holds. Well, except for one thing. We know how the story ends. We know how that Christ will come again. But we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen a week from now. We don't know what's going to happen a year from now. We really have no idea if this virus is going to continue to spread or not. We have guesses, but we don't know. We have no idea if we're going to get the virus or if we're not going to get the virus. Because we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, who we're going to run into. We have no idea if our country right now is going to divide or if something's going to happen that's going to unite us because we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And to be completely honest, we have no idea if all of the precautions we're taking are working. We don't know because we don't know the future. We have no idea. And, And what he's driving home in this book is that has to humble us because we don't know the future and we don't know what's best for us. So we need to stop pretending like we do. And we need to humble ourselves before God, because guess what? God does know the future and God does know what's best for us. That's what he says in verse 10. He says, whatever exists has already been named And what humanity is, has been known, and no one can contend with someone who is stronger. He says, whatever is happening right now, whatever currently exists, was named long ago by God. It was decided before the foundations of the earth. Past, present, future are all in God's hands. He knows what happened, he knows what's happening, and he knows what's going to happen. And he also knows us. He said he knows who we are and he knows what is good for us. He knows that we are not as big of a deal as we think we are. He knows that sometimes we need to be put in our place. And he knows we need to humble ourselves. And as we humble ourselves before God, the the author of Ecclesiastes says, then we need to stop kind of pounding our head against the wall being frustrated with our current situation. He says in verse 10, no one can contend with someone who is stronger. And if you're wondering who he's talking about when he talks about the one who is stronger, just think of Jesus loves me. We are weak, but he is strong. He says, we cannot contend with God. We need to stop trying to contend with him. He is the potter. We are the clay. And we have really no right to even fight with him about what he's doing. And yet, we do. We get in a tough situation like we're in, in days of adversity and trial. And we can get angry with God and yell at him. And we can be stirred up with fear and anxiety. And the author says, what good does it do? Can you fight with God and win? No. 
Jesus says in Matthew 6, 27, Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And the answer is, nope. He says, like anybody would want to, can you, can you make any of the hairs on your head turn gray? Teenagers can, but you can't. <laughs> Sorry, had to say that. No matter how much you worry, no matter how much you fret, no matter how angry you are about what's currently happening, you can't change it. It does you no good. You can't contend with God who's stronger than you. And besides, you don't really know what's best for you. And you don't know what the future holds. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And you don't know what is happening now, how that is working towards something in the future. And so we need to humble ourselves and trust our God who knows who we are, who knows what's good for us, and who knows the future. But, but we have guidance on how to live. And so the massive, the main part of this passage is a list of Proverbs. Um, the first, I think, 13 verses of chapter 7 are all Proverbs, which are guidance for wise living. So that's what a proverb is. Here's how you live in the midst of all of this world. And in particular, these are, are guiding us on how to live in the midst of adversity and trial. And so we need to trust our God when he tells us, here's how you live in the midst of this. But there's, an, there's something interesting in this about these Proverbs that are different from most of the Proverbs that you see. If you go read through the book of Proverbs, you'll notice that most of those Proverbs are just black and white, right? This is good. This is evil. This is the wise person. This is the foolish person. But the most, one of the most common phrases in these Proverbs are, this is better than that. It's not so cut and dry. And I think he's talking about this kind of fogginess that sets in with us in the midst of adversity and trial. We don't see things clearly. We, it just seems like you're kind of walking through a fog trying to feel your way out. Um, one of the commentators said, frequently one must choose the lesser of two evils. Or at least settle for a situation that falls short of the ideal. And, and we kind of know that. We don't like that. But, but we know that cliche say, saying, hindsight is twenty twenty, Right? So in five or ten years, we can look back on what was happening this year and see things more clearly. Right? But all that tells us is that in the midst of it, we were not seeing clearly. Our vision was not twenty twenty. It was more like 2200. Like, we just didn't know all the pieces that were happening. Or, as Paul says, our whole life is that way. That we see through a mirror dimly or a glass darkly. And we only know things in part. And so, the author is saying, that's what it's like right now. In the midst of this trial, in the midst of this adversity, things are kind of foggy. And so, you've got to feel your way through and, and try to figure out what's better than the other. And I don't have time to go through. I wish I had time to go through each proverb individually. I'm gonna, that's homework for you. Go home this afternoon, read through them, meditate on them for guidance on how to live right now. Um, but I want to point out a theme that kind of runs through all of them. It's kind of underneath all of them. 
And, uh, and I want to give you the theme, and then I want to show you where it's at in, in Scripture. So here's the theme, I think, that's running through all of them. The wise person accepts the reality that they're in. And the fool tries to ignore it and refuses to accept it. Okay? The wise person accepts the reality that they're in, and the fool tries to ignore it and refuses to accept the reality that they're in. So let's look at it. So chapter 7, verse 2. He says, It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. For death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. I don't know if you've noticed this for me, but every once in a while I'll read a passage of Scripture and then ask us, do we really believe that? (laughs) I have to ask myself that. I mean, do we really believe, just think about yourself, do you really believe that it's better to go to a funeral than a wedding reception? That's not our natural inclination, is it? But he says we, we need to think differently. We need to see things differently. We need to be reminded that every single one of us is going to die. That will happen for all of us, to all of us. And we need to take it to heart. Which is why he said it's better for us to go to a funeral than a wedding. Because at a funeral you are forced to accept the reality that you will die. And he said, not just accept it, take it to heart. Let it rest on you that you are going to die one day. But we don't like to accept that fact. We kind of push it off to the side and we want to ignore it. So chapter 7, verse 6, he says, Like the crackling of thorns under the pot, so is the laughter of fools. This too is meaningless. Right, so the laughter of fools is like crackling of thorns under a pot. Or to, to put it in our context... Um, Tom and Deanne will maybe experience this as they go camping. If you go and find a bunch of dry pine needles and you throw them in your fire, what do you get? A really hot fire for about five seconds. It looks impressive. It looks like you've accomplished what you've wanted. And then it disappears. And he says, that's the laughter of fools. Laugh, laugh, laugh. Hi, life is good. I, I'm refusing to accept what's going on. I just laugh and, and try to ignore the situation that I'm in. But it's not true joy, and it disappears just as quickly as it came. And it's really the, the image that he keeps portraying throughout this whole set of Proverbs is this picture of a prosperous people partying and dancing and laughing, just trying to ignore the reality of what's actually going on. Things are bad, but we're going to pretend like everything is good. And we're going to drink our way away, we're going to laugh, we're going to dance, and we're going to do that and refuse to accept what's happening. And we see that happening today. People ignoring what's going on and and just trying to pretend like we're all fine We even see it with funerals, Um, and and hear me all the way out on this, but I think it's part of the reason why we've changed funerals to celebrations of life. I think it's good to celebrate God's blessings on someone's life. I think we should remember that. But there's an aspect of we want to ignore the death part of it, and we just want to celebrate something else instead of being brought face-to-face with the reality that we're going to die one day. And so why funerals should be a combination, sorrowful yet always rejoicing. 
is the, the tension you need in a funeral. The, the rejoicing that God has saved this person and brought them into heaven with him, and yet we're all going to die. And we have to accept that. Um, verse 10, chapter 7. Here's another way that we try to ignore our current reality. Do not say, why were the old days better than these? It is not wise to ask such questions. Now, don't let me as the young whippersnapper be the one to step on your toes, but um, just let the Bible do it. <laughs> right? He says, that's foolish. That's foolish for us to look back and say, man, those were the good old days. Because he says, they're gone. Accept it. Move on. You're living today. The good old days are gone and you are here right now. So live now. Don't be stuck in the past. But to let any of the older folks off the hook, the younger generation is doing the same thing right now. Actually, we're all doing the same thing because that temptation really gets pushed on us in the midst of trial. And as I talk to people throughout the week, teenagers, adults, whatever, everyone right now is remembering the good old days before COVID. Right? Man, remember the good old days? We'd go into the grocery store. We could get toilet paper wherever we wanted. Man, those were the days, right? Remember, we could go out in the streets. We didn't have to wear masks. We could just kind of go wherever. We could go over to our friend's house. We didn't have to think about it. We could go here. We could go do that. Those were the days. Remember the days we could go to church. We didn't have to wear a mask. We could drink coffee. We could eat cookies. We could have potlucks. We could hang out with one another. Those were the good old days. Remember when we could talk about things without ticking everybody off every time we said anything? Those were the good old days, right? I mean, we all feel it. And he says, don't live there. That's foolish. Those days are gone for now, right? They could come back someday in the future, but right now they're gone. This is where we're living right now in this current situation. And he said, and God has given this to us right now, this day as a gift, so don't try to ignore it by living in the past. Don't try to ignore it by running around trying to pretend like everything's fine. Try to live today in a way that brings glory and honor to God. Now, try to live today the best way that you can to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And he says we can do that because we know that God is in control. That frees us to do that. He's, because God is in control, we are free to accept that this situation that we're in is actually a gift of God. Even if it's hard. Even if it's a cup of sour wine. He says in chapter 7, verse 14, When times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider this, God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, no one can discover anything about their future. All right, we've talked about this before. The author has talked about this, that God sets times and seasons. He gives seasons of prosperity and he gives seasons of adversity. And he gives both of them. And we have no idea what's coming ahead of us. Whether it's adversity, whether it's prosperity, all we know that God has given us today. And so he says, if God has given you a period of prosperity... Be happy and enjoy it. 
And don't sit and worry about if you're going to lose it all or what's going to happen tomorrow. Just enjoy the gift that God has given you that day. And when times are tough, he says, don't forget that God has also given you that. And so trust him. Rest in him. Even seek to find Christian joy in the midst of it because God has given this to you. And so instead of trying to refuse to accept the reality that God has given you, rest in it and trust him. Now, I already alluded to this earlier, but I want to end with this. We don't know what the future holds, but we do know how it's all going to end. And that changes the way we live now in the midst of adversity. We know that at the end of history, Jesus Christ is going to come again. And he's going to raise his believers from the dead. He's going to bring us a new heavens and a new earth. And he is going to wipe away every tear from our eye. Paul writes this in Romans, Romans 8, 18 through 25. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. Creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. The creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we eagerly await our adoption to sonship and the redemption of our bodies. In this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not have, we wait for it patiently. So as we look around at COVID spreading across the world, this is creation groaning. And creation groaning under the weight of sin and death. We watch people suffering from not only COVID, but all of the other ramifications, loneliness, isolation, sickness, loss of jobs, everything that's happening. We see people suffering from that. And he says, at the core, we're groaning under the weight of sin and death. But he says, don't forget, we have a Savior who conquered sin and death. Through his life, through his death, through his resurrection, he conquered sin and death. And he promised that he's coming back again. He's going to defeat it completely. He's going to set up a new heaven and a new earth. He's going to remove all of the groaning from creation. He's going to remove all the groaning from our lives. And he's going to wipe every tear away. And he promised that he's going to hold on to us and give us strength to make it to that day. And when he comes to that day... When Christ comes again and sets up the new heavens and the new earth and his redemption is complete, Paul says, what we're going through right now will seem like nothing. That the brightness of his glory and his majesty will look back over every dark spot of history and shine light into it. Every dark spot of our lives will have light shown on it from the glory of God and they will all seem like nothing. And he says, that's the hope that we were saved in. And we get to taste it. And we get little tastes of it in this life that just give us joy and hope. And he says, that hope is what we long for in the future. And so we groan now as we wait for that to come. But we also wait patiently. 
trusting our God in the midst of it. And we groan and then we accept the reality of the situation we're in, knowing that this too has come to us from God. And so we seek to glorify God today in whatever he's given us. And we trust him that he's giving us what's good, that he knows the future. And we trust him when he said, I'm going to hold on to you and I will give you strength to make it through today. And I give you strength to make it through every today that I give you until he comes again. And he sets up his new heavens and his new earth and he wipes away every single tear. Let's pray. Oh, Lord. I just give you thanks and praise for the hope that we have in you. Father, I don't even know how we would live in this world apart from you and the hope that you give us and the peace and the comfort and the strength that come from you. I have no idea. So thank you for being our God. Thank you for making us your people. And Father, we confess that we often trust in ourselves. We often fall into anger and frustration and fear and anxiety and don't trust you when we get into difficulty. And so we ask your forgiveness for our lack of faith. But we also pray, help restore our faith, help strengthen our faith. We believe, Father, help our unbelief. And so strengthen us to live each day trusting you, resting in you, and living with the hope of the future glory that you have for us. Father, help us live each day as light and salt in this world. Helping people to see the true hope and the comfort that you bring us. Father, may your name be lifted up in all the earth. Father, may you use this time of pandemic in our country and our world to shake things so that people look to you for their hope and their salvation. Lord, we pray that you bring revival. And all God's people said, Amen.